Uh, turn with me tonight in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to read a few verses from Galatians chapter 3. We'll not read all of the chapter, but we'll read verses 1 to 14. Galatians chapter 3, the book of Galatians. Martin Luther called Galatians my Katie. And of course he was married to a lady, former nun called Catherine von Bora, whom he nicknamed Katie. And um, he called the book of Galatians my Katie in the sense that he was married uh, to uh, this book. I'm tempted to tell you something about the marriage of Catherine von Bora to Luther, but I'll desist for it would take time. Galatians chapter 3, we'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doth he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee, shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come in the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Galatians chapter 3 and the verse 11. And my subject tonight is to consider the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. 
The text reads, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now the doctrine of justification by faith alone is one of the most important doctrines that was rediscovered and re-emphasized during the great Protestant Reformation. And this year, on the 31st of October, will mark the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was and is the most important and most influential movement in the history of Western European countries. And as such, it has shaped the world in which we live. While the Protestant Reformation impacted on and revolutionized European politics, law, literature, science, music, marriage, and even individual conscience, I want you to understand it was rooted in a spiritual understanding of man's relationship to God. It was a movement that brought medieval Christianity back to the Bible, back to Christ, back to faith in Christ alone for salvation. I want you to understand that on the 31st of October 1517, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door at Wittenberg, and that church door was just acting like a notice board, these 95 Theses, or truthful propositions, were a protest against the sale of indulgences, against the, the papal pardons for sin, sins committed or intended to commit. And you see, Martin Luther was merely calling for a debate, calling for a discussion with the theologians and the students of the day on the question, how can a man be justified before God? Literally, it was this series of questions that had to do with the salvation of a sinner. How can a sinner be made righteous and brought into a right relationship with God? And that's a fundamental question. And that's what the 95 Theses is really all about. It answers the question, how can I become a Christian? Or, or what is a real, true Christian? And certainly within the next 24 hours, we'll put up on the website those 95 theses, give you five reasons of summary for them, and we trust you'll avail yourself of that information. It was this question that lay at the heart of the 95 theses. It was not about how to have a, a territorial church. It was not about how we can have unity and fellowship. It was not about how can we best pray for the dead or, or how can we best help the souls in purgatory. No, at its heart was this. How can a sinner be justified before God? You see, many are asking the question, as I try to answer this morning, about the relevance of the Reformation in the 21st century. Is it really worth remembering? We're told, surely we live in a different world to the 21st century. Surely we have enough to think of in 2017 and dealing with what happened in 1517. We hear the call that the message of the Reformation is outdated, that it's old hat. I want to tell you tonight, it is not. Today, sadly, many people are ashamed of the Reformation. 
Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of the um, Westminster Chapel, he was delivering a lecture in Westminster on the subject, Luther and his message for today. And this is what he stated, and I quote, The ecumenical leaders are afraid of calling attention to Luther and the Reformation because they have ideas in their minds, plans and proposals which they are putting into execution, which are traveling in the exact opposite direction. And if those words were true in 1967, it's especially true now today. The attempts to reverse the Protestant Reformation are an overdrive. There are grave attempts to misrepresent and misinterpret the Reformation. And of course, the great message of the Protestant Reformation is distasteful to the Roman Catholic Church, to the ecumenical movement, to the liberals and the modernists, and also to the weak evangelicals alike. You see, they view the Reformation as a tragedy because the Protestant Reformation and its message is the greatest danger to their respective cause for a one-world church. Now, tonight again, I want to call on every true believer of all ages to heed the call not to abandon or to sell out our biblical heritage, not to sell the truth rediscovered at the Reformation. Let us rise to this great challenge. Let us lay hold in our hearts and minds the great doctrine that lay at the heart of the Reformation, namely the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You see, the Church of Rome to this day has no problem with justification by faith. It never had. Justification by faith was not the issue in Martin Luther's day. Rome had the scripture. Rome talked about grace. Rome talked about faith. Rome could talk about the glory of God. But Rome refused to accept the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now that's a completely different matter. That's a completely different issue. The battle of the Reformation was over one word. And it was the word alone. And the Church of Rome, of course, would not accept the authority of Scripture alone. They would not accept grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And to this day they won't accept it and they won't countenance it or they won't consider it. And of course the devil isn't busy with overtime trying to deceive and distort that great message. And I want you to think tonight of this great doctrine because it's one of the most important in the whole scheme of the salvation of the sinner. This is really the article upon which the church, the true church, stands or falls. This is a glorious doctrine at the very heart of the gospel. And this doctrine, even though the Reverend Greer preached on it a few weeks ago, needs constant clarification. And I'm well aware that there were some 
not present for the Reverend Greer's message, who may not yet have visited the website. And therefore tonight, I'm revisiting this message and I trust that I'll be able to do so with the help of God. I want you to think of a few things. I want you to think, first of all, of the meaning of justification by faith alone. The word justified is used 39 times in the Bible. The word justified is used 13 times in the Bible. And of course, there's a few references to the word justification as the noun. But, but what does it mean? You see, it's good that we know the word. It's good that I've told you. Justified, 39 times in the Bible. That's great for that information. Justify, 13 times. That makes 50. Few times for justification, great. It's good to know the word. It's good to know the words in the Bible. But what does it actually mean when we read it for ourselves? What message does it send to our thought process and our understanding? We could turn to the question tonight that was asked by Bildad in Job 25 and 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Now that was a big question. It was asked before because in the uh, book of Job in chapter 9 and in the verse 2, the same question was asked, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God. If he, speaking of God, will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Now that's a searching question. That's a serious question. That's a straightforward question. But I want to tell you that's a substantial question. And what does it mean? Well, I want you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 25. And I told the young people in the Bible class this morning that this was the first reference to the word justify in the Bible. And of course, it's always good to confess when you're wrong, and I do that. It's the second reference, young people. But the first reference has got the same idea. Let's read Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they, that's the judges, shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. You see, that brings us to a courtroom scene. That brings us to a legal case that's being handled. Here's the judges sitting in judgment. And of course, in the days of the children of Israel, the judges would have sat in the gate. And there was a controversy between two individuals. And they had got to make a judgment. They, they had got to issue a declaration. And of course that declaration involved the condemnation of the wicked person. And the justification of the righteous person. In other words, it had to do with a legal pronouncement it had to do with their legal standing and you see in that sense 
justification has to do with our, our, our legal standing or our legal pronouncement before God. It has to do with our legal acceptance with God. It has nothing to do with our moral position. The wicked or the righteous person wasn't changed morally, but it had to do with their, their legal position. Man's legal position must be in harmony with the law of God. And in this Old Testament courtroom scene in the gate of the city, one of the defendants is justified. That a declaration is made about him that he's in harmony with the law of the land. As I've said, this is a legal matter. And here's the second reference in the Bible. And it's using this word justified. And we're told that the judges shall justify the righteous. That is, they'll make a legal pronouncement about him. You see, this is a legal matter. It's not a question of making the man morally righteous or making the man morally wicked. It's not making one man innocent and one guilty. The wicked man, he's already guilty. He's already found out. He's charged with guilt and condemnation. Doesn't the Bible say the soul that sinneth it shall die? The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. One is legally pronounced innocent. One is legally pronounced guilty, wicked. He's not made innocent. He's a just legally pronounced innocent because he already is innocent. He, he, he's just been declared innocent. And I want to lift up that courtroom scene to the courtroom of heaven. And I want us to think of ourselves standing before a holy God as the righteous judge. And God as righteous judge demands perfect obedience to his law. He demands absolute sinless perfection. He, he, he demands perfection of all that we think and say and do. And, and tie in Bildad's question, how then can a man be justified before God? That is, how can he be legally pronounced righteous? Or, or, or how can he be sinlessly perfect? You see, it's not a process. It's a legal pronouncement. And if you want a, a, a simple way to look at the meaning, young people, think of it this way. This is a legal pronouncement, not a lifelong process. You see, the Church of Rome teaches that it's a lifelong process, that it starts at baptism and it ends in purgatory. And of course, the Church of Rome taught that before Luther's day. They, they taught it during Luther's day. They, they taught it uh, through Trent in their day. And they're still teaching it by their catechism 1994 to this day. We'll ask the question, what is justification then? Our catechism answers. Question 33, justification is an act of God's free grace. Whereby he pardoneth all our sins. And accepted us as righteous in his sight. Only for the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Received by faith alone. Now that's a great definition. And I can tell you tonight, that definition is based on the Bible. L listen to what the Bible tells us there in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, 
through the forbearance of God. And over in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, and in the um, verse 16, we read, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. This is a legal pronouncement, a legal declaration, where, where the sinner is cleared of all blame. He's set free from every charge. He's, he's legally pronounced not guilty in the sight of a holy God. And I want to ask tonight, was there a time, was there a day in your life when you became aware that you had been legally declared righteous before God? That, that God treated you as legally righteous? That God accepted you as legally righteous in his sight? That's the meaning of the doctrine of justification. I want you to think of this secondly, and I've tried to alliterate this, and I'm watching the clock, the maker of justification by faith alone. Because who declares this act? Who makes this legal pronouncement about the sinner? And the answer is God himself. Listen to the catechism. Justification is an act of God. The author of our justification is God. Turn over there to Romans chapter 8 and look with me at the verse 33. And we read there in Acts 8 and verse uh, 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You see, it is God who planned it all. It's God who performs this act. He justifies the sinner. He is the one who makes the legal declaration about the guilty person. This act of justification can't be performed by a preacher, certainly not performed by the Pope or a priest or any angel. It can't be performed by any intermediator or, or, or any kind of mediator. Justification is an act of God's. Only God. Man has nothing to do with this legal pronouncement. He doesn't declare or treat or acquit himself as, as innocent and as legally righteous. No, he's accepted, treated and declared such by the holy God of heaven. God is the author. Who shall bring a charge against God's people? That's what Paul is saying in Romans 8 and verse 33. It is God that justifies. God's people under a heavy burden of sin, full of doubts and fears and worries about their, their, their standing. And here's this message. It is God that justifieth. I, I want you to think thirdly and quickly. The motive of justification by faith alone. And if you go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, which I've read, it says being justified freely by his grace. You see, Paul underscores it. Paul underlines it. The, the sinner's justification is without merit in his part. He doesn't deserve this legal pronouncement. He doesn't deserve to be treated and accepted as righteous in the sight of the Holy God. He hasn't earned it by his good works, his own efforts. He hasn't earned it as right. 
You see, many believe today, sadly not only among many sincere Roman Catholics, but many who we would say are nominal Protestants. And they believe that if they do enough good works and offer enough good works to God, that their good works will outweigh their bad works and God will be pleased with them and they'll earn favour and eventually on that basis, God will admit them into heaven. Now that's not true. That's not going to happen. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 we read, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Isn't that a tremendous statement? And over there in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 3 and in the verse 7 we read, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, it's by the grace of God alone. It's the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. What is grace? Well, we could do an acrostic, God riches at Christ's expense, and that's good, but that's not good enough. Professor John Murray's definition is the best. It's the unmerited, undeserved favor to those who are ill-deserving and to the hell-deserving. None of us have earned or deserved the love and the favor and the mercy of God. No, God gives us that freely. You think of the parable that the Lord Jesus told in Luke 18 of two men, the publican and the sinner, a great illustration, because there's the principle of good works. The, the Pharisee said, Lord, I did this, I did that, I, I, did, I did something else. And there you've got the principle of God's grace, because the, the publican, he didn't even lift his head, he smote upon his breast, and he cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And remember, they're praying in the temple before the mercy seat, and the blood was applied in the mercy seat, and the, the, the publican was saying, I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve anything. But he cried out for it. And what do we read there in Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 18, and in the verse 14? Well, this is what the Lord Jesus said. I tell you this man, that was the, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see, the publican humbled himself before God, and he admitted that he was a sinner, and he admitted that he had a soul, and he admitted he stood in need of mercy from God, and he called out, because the Bible says, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and, and what did he call out for? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. He went home legally pronounced, treated and accepted as righteous in the sight of God. And of course, we as a Protestant church reject any doctrine that any individual can save himself by his own good works or that any individual can be saved by joining a church and performing its rites and its ceremonies. The Bible tells us here and listen again to what the Bible says. We need to come back to the Bible. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You can't be justified by the works of the law. It's clear because it's on the basis of free grace. Fourthly, I want you to think of the mandate of justification by faith alone. 
ground would God have for making this legal pronouncement? And the answer again is taken from the scriptures. If you think of Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Romans 5 and 9 talks much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. And, and there's the redemptive work of Christ. There's uh, brought into play the precious blood of the Savior. You see, God's law says every sinner must die who's broken it in thought and word and deed. God demands absolute perfection. But God in love planned the great plan of redemption. And, and, and God is willing to justify sinners on the ground of the Savior's precious blood. And the mandate for the justification was the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus. The doing of Christ, that is, he kept the law of God perfectly. He was sinless. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He fulfilled the very precepts of the law. He, he said during his time, um, which of you convinced of me of sin? He, he said again, I do always those things that please the Father. God himself declared three times, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and the doing, the, 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 the sinless life of Christ is important. I want you to think also of the dying of the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus had to die. The Bible tells us Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Not only did he keep the law of God perfectly, but he fulfilled its penalty in death. Because the Bible tells us that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And, 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 and souls who had sinned deserve die, to die. And, and all the righteous demands of the law in its precepts and in its penalty were fully met and fully fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. That brings in the importance of the precious blood. Doesn't the Bible tell us without the shedding of blood is no remission? And the Lord Jesus died on the cross and shed his precious blood. And as the Bible tells us here in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews 9 and 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And it says in verse 24 of the same chapter, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And the only ground, the mandate that God has for making this legal pronouncement is the doing and the dying of the Lord Jesus. And by his doing and dying, he earned righteousness. Think of the, the catechism. Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight only for the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Lord Jesus earned righteousness. And everyone that puts their faith and trust in Christ, there's the imputation. Christ's righteousness is put to their account. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians Whenever he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the verse 21, a favorite verse of mine, he says, For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us, a sin offering, a, a sacrifice, a sin bearer, a substitute, who knew no sin. For what purpose? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, there's a great exchange. There's a double uh, imputation. 
Our sin is guilt, it's punishment, is all transferred to Christ, put to his account. He's treated as the worst sinner ever, even though he never committed a sin. And the righteous life of Christ that, that, that he lived is, is transferred by faith and put to our account. That's the mandate. Let me say, fifthly and quickly, the means of justification is by faith. Paul says that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for this very reason. The just shall live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2 and 4. And of course, that's the great watchword of the Reformation. The means to, to obtain this blessing is faith. The Catechism tells us received by faith alone. And of course, faith is forsaking all I trust him or forsaking all I take him. It's faith alone in the doings and dyings of the Lord Jesus, in his, his person and work. That's how Abraham was saved. Abraham's mentioned in this chapter. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted or reckoned to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God about the coming of Christ. He looked forward to the day of Christ. In fact, he says in Genesis 22 uh, and verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb. The Lord Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day in John 8 and saw it and was glad. He saw the Lord Jesus would come to bleed and die as the lamb of God. That's how David was saved. He, he looked to Christ. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. He's no longer liable for punishment. He's now treated as righteous. He's now accepted as righteous. You think of Martin Luther with all the masses that he performed, the penance that, that he uh, sought to observe, the purgatory that he faced. He whipped himself. He felt that God was so holy and high and he tormented himself in his thoughts that he could never please or be acceptable to a holy God. He, he, he had no real peace until he come to these words, the just shall live by faith. Think of the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And here was the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe him to trust and adhere to and rely on. It's by faith alone. It's not what you do. It's what Christ has done. It's not what the church says. It's what Christ says. Faith is not a meritorious cause. As we saw last week, it's, it's an instrumental cause. It, it's resting and receiving on Christ. I want you to think lastly, and our time is gone, the ministry of justification by faith alone. Well, what flows from this? Two things. Pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight. God has perfect pardon for you tonight. If you call on God, like the publican, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And God assures you the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No, God has peace for you tonight. You can have peace with God. The Bible says therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the torment of Martin Luther. God is holy and I'm so wicked and sinful and I can do nothing to please God. And, and, and he, he desired to be right with God. He wanted peace. And then he come to understand it. Whenever he discovered that the instrument of being legally pronounced righteous was by faith. Penance and purgatory and payments and pilgrimages were all put away. Practices of the church were all put away that he might receive this gift of peace. Peace with God. That's part of what flows as a result of justification. There's many other things that I could say. But I trust I've wowed your appetite tonight. I trust I've helped to enlighten you. If you get into your mind the meaning of this very important doctrine. And get into your mind that the maker of this legal pronouncement is God himself. And the motive behind it was God's free grace. And the mandate is the doings and dyings of the Lord Jesus. The means is faith. And the ministry. Well, there's loads. But it starts with pardon. And it starts with being at peace. Because God has accepted you and treated you. And declared you legally righteous in his sight. Whole books have been written in this subject. 30 odd minutes is just not enough to deal with it in a sufficient way. But I've trusted at least opened up like a flower, uh, this important doctrine again to your understanding. May the Lord bless you tonight. Thank you for coming. And if we can be of any help to anyone, please come and speak to us.